Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. In his first major foreign policy address, President Joe Biden signaled that he would end U.S. support for the Saudi-led war on Yemen. This war has to end. And to underscore our commitment, we're ending all American support for offensive operations in the war in Yemen, including relevant arms sales. But if you listen closely to Joe Biden's remarks, you'll notice some qualifiers. He talked about ending support for offensive operations in Yemen and also pledged to suspend only relevant arms sales to Saudi Arabia. So does that leave room for the Saudi-led genocide campaign in Yemen to continue? Well, joining me is Issa Blumi. He is associate professor at Stockholm University, author of Destroying Yemen, What Chaos in Arabia Tells Us About the World. Professor Blumi, welcome to Pushback. Thank you for having me, Aaron. What do you make of Biden's announcement? Uh, your introduction of the announcement, I think, is quite um, clairvoyant, uh, you certainly know how to um, aim for some of the major weaknesses and, and indeed areas of concern for this gesture, uh, which in many ways is a gesture towards a constituency that expects certain kinds of changes, presumably uh, changes to a Trump policy, where if we actually th think about it in other terms, it's actually a reflection of the changing dynamics on the ground, which has forced an American policy that continues back to the Obama administration to actually change. Um, and what we're beginning to see is with the arrival of the old guard from the period of the actual beginning of this war in 2014, 2015, they are now back um, uh, holding the reins once again of American foreign policy. Um, some of the old kind of dynamics of the relationship the United States has with this region is resurfacing and inducing all kinds of adjustments. But in the meantime, uh, this war has been a terribly um, uh, uh, miscalculated one, one that has just drained the resources of the regional powers of, uh, of the Middle East. It has led to a fragmentation of what was once a quite strong initial alliance to start this war uh, with this um, expulsion of expulsion of Qatar in 2017. Uh, what has changed with the arrival of Biden's team is that Qatar is now at the, um, uh, and now is ascending again as to being the major partner in um, subsequent four years of American policy in the region. And I think that's reflected in this statement, which again needs to be parsed out. You need to look at the details and it's a little bit worrying about what's actually on offer uh, in Biden's statement. Just to explain what you said there about Qatar. So early on in the Trump administration, there became this rift inside the Gulf states where essentially Saudi Arabia led this campaign to isolate Qatar and imposed sanctions. Now, just recently, that has been resolved with Qatar being let back into the fold. That is correct. And um, in the course of this breaking uh, part of this alliance that had been tooled together by some of the same people who will be asked to return to the um, portfolio of Yemen, uh, from Blinken to especially Lunderking, who was in Riyadh during this time when the war was actually being concocted 
2014-2015 with Samantha Power, who is now will be the head of USAID. And if you paid attention to what um, Biden was saying, that he's expecting USAID to take the lead in bringing back certain kinds of relationship to the North, which is uh, certainly brings uh, raises red flags for everyone observing this conflict uh, with some kind of clear clear eyes. Qatar has been, again, initiated um, a, a, a kind of a breath of fresh air and has been given an opportunity to re-enter to the fold. You'll, you've seen the immediate reaction on the global scene. Qatar is once again a topic of discussion. While the two primary agents who had sought to secure Yemen for their own strategic interests, unable to win this war and actually spent much of the last five years fighting amongst themselves as much as against their target in the north of Yemen, the Ansar Allah, or so-called Houthis. We are now in a situation where we'll see, probably see a dramatic change of uh, the dynamics on the ground inside Yemen itself, as well as unfortunately in other uh, zones of conflict, especially Syria. Uh, I think that we'll, uh, I think there are direct links to what's happening with Biden's statement regarding Yemen uh, with what will likely happen in other parts of the region because of the ascendancy of Qatar once again. Well, I'll be curious to ask you about that, especially the component about Syria. But let me just clarify a few things. So you mentioned Lender King. So that is Timothy Lender King. That, that is the veteran diplomat uh, that Biden has tapped as his new special envoy to Yemen. And let's talk about the Houthis, because as a part of this announcement, people in the U.S. are understandably taking credit because there's been a lot of activism to try to convince the U.S. government to stop its support for the Saudi war in Yemen. And there was even congressional measures passed. So there was a huge amount of activism done here in the U.S. But lost in this conversation is the achievements of the Houthis on the ground in resisting the Saudi aggression and making this war unwinnable for them. Can you talk about that component and how that helped bring us to this point? Yeah, it uh, maybe will need 20 years and a considerable distance from what's actually happening on the ground now because it's so partisan and so much uh, money is invested in um, the position of analysts um, who make certain claims like that this Houthi organization, which is in reality a much larger coalition of actors and parties that had over the course of the last 20 years had to deal with America's uh, very intimate interventions into Yemeni domestic politics, supporting Ali Abdullah Saleh, and then supporting an interim regime after Saleh could no longer sustain power in the ways that would be useful to American interests, especially corporate interests, um, result, has resulted in, a, in an enduring campaign where the vast majority of Yemeni's people are actually un, on compliance to the demands made by uh, regional uh, would-be powers and indeed their main patrons, the United States. And that has resulted in the fragmentation of this coalition in fighting. Um, the, the, the positions of all the three major um, players, Qatar, Saudi Arabia and UAE, in this uh, campaign to somehow bring uh, a, a, a result to this uh, internal conflict, which was once an internal political uh, struggle uh, to serve their uh, long-term strategic interests, uh, means that as conditions on the ground change, as you rightly say, uh, indeed the Northern Coalition has successfully thwarted 
an attempt to invade and occupy large parts of northern Yemen. Uh, the ongoing campaign to pressure them using food as a weapon, using all kinds of illegal uh, kinds of uh, armaments to somehow uh, terrorize people into submission has failed. And there has been dramatic reversals in some key strategic areas, largely a reflection of this very passionate uh, group of, of, of fighters representing this uh, coalition in the north on Surla and the fragmentation of the their opponents, those who have come and tried to assert a certain kind of reality that that actually contradicts each other um, in terms of what Saudi Arabia has envisioned in their initia initiation of this campaign, what UAE has evolved to envision as their interest in the region and Qatar's who are still very much involved in this game. They support uh, ra radical so-called Islamist groups. Um, many of their uh, big um, allies on the ground are very effectively holding on to ground in the areas south of Ta'iz. And it's it's a mess for this coalition. And indeed, it's forced America over the, over the last five or six years to rethink its relationship to this to this war. And Trump's team uh, made basically an offer uh, that the Saudis especially could not refuse. You have to buy exclusively with cash if you can want our services, if you want our weapons. There was even in 2019 an adaptation to a policy which really was meaningless, very much like what Biden's gesture now is meaningless. Uh, yes, they will still supply defensive uh, weapons, and I would suspect there are a lot of dual-purpose weapons that will also could easily be used for offensive reasons. And they will continue the war against Al Qaeda, which has long been a code for American direct uh, American soldiers, special forces, as uh, boots on the ground. So that will continue. So I think the dynamics are changing and are forcing a reconfiguration of the narrative. Um, there is there is an attempt to find a way out, and diplomatically, perhaps we can find a way out. But the realities on the ground have changed and forced the the components of that kind of diplomacy to change. Um, and then this is what I think uh, Biden's team, again, who are the ones who initiated this war in the first place, are going to try to change dramatically conditions on the ground in order to be, to step into this position of uh, negotiating uh, with a position uh, that's more favorable to their interests, because right now it's not. And this is the reflection uh, on the ground and in diplomatic circles in Washington, is that they're not happy with the situation in Yemen, and it's likely to get worse unless they intervene um, using different kinds of tactics. So all those wonderfully uh, principled uh, people who are getting on the streets, quite small, unfortunately, but nevertheless, those ones who are standing in front of Congress and who are pos uh, positioning themselves in front of military uh, weapons uh, factories, uh, they've done their um, their job. They've actually had an impact. They've, they've created a small niche where there is a discussion about Yemen. Um, it's, it's unfortunately, it's going to be now steered in a very, a disingenuous way by this create this team around uh, Joe Biden, and they're going to try and find a way to put position America and their interests um, again in a um, in a positive way, so they can actually negotiate on their terms, as opposed to the terms of peoples who have been resisting this war for many years now. The fact, though, that they are 
suspending arms sales or reviewing arms sales, and they are reviewing the designation of the Houthis as a terror organization, which was essentially a death sentence for the people who are living in Houthi-controlled territory. Do you see that as a positive compared to the Trump policy, which was just unfettered support for the Saudi campaign? Uh, well, if, if uh, again, you have to understand that Trump's uh, uh, foreign policy was very much uh, in shambles um, and um, lots of, let's say, entrenched interest that uh, persistently made it difficult to really change, especially in regards to Yemen, uh, the direction of that war. As we saw, uh, it was also very difficult to change the dynamics of the wars in Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan. But in regards to Yemen, I mean, Lender King was part of this uh, process of trying to find uh, through the uh, UN Special Envoy in Stockholm at the end of 2018, some means to somehow end this war on their terms. And of course, that was not possible. Um, and when they when Trump makes this last ditch effort or gesture to call the uh, the opposition to this invasion terrorists, uh, this could be seen as a State Department trick to basically say, well, okay, we'll make a concession, we'll take you off the list, and now that that's the kind of move we've made forward. Now you have to give us something in return. Um, so let's not jump to conclusions. And in fact, this gesture is is necessarily a serious rebuttal to what was going on in the past. I, I, I just I don't trust this crew that has been uh, has been um, emplaced around this uh, new administration. I see a lot of continuation. Only the interest of the regional powers um, have um, been significantly enhanced in the case of Qatar, or um, as a, as a consequence. Um, uh, lots of changes will have to be made um, as far as Saudi Arabia and UAE is concerned. And one of them, as you can see, was the immediate uh, ending of the blockade of Qatar, which is, I, I know for a fact, is not something that uh, made people happy um, in, um, in various circles. Uh, but there was the understanding that the new team had uh, very old relations with Qatar and they had worked together in campaigns in Yemen uh, supporting uh, Islam Party and other Brotherhood-type uh, organizations uh, with personalities like Tawakal Karman, uh, their main kind of uh, uh, local interlocutor, the same kind of dynamic which destroyed Syria. Um, um, again, we're, we're, we're seeing now a return of people who have lots of blood on their hands and want to see this end in a way that is, again, on their terms, uh, which does not bode well for the people of Yemen, I'm afraid. Well, where are the fault lines here? What are the terms that the Houthis will be calling for? And what are the terms that you think the U.S.-led uh, alliance, whatever you want to call it, in concert with Saudi Arabia and Qatar, I suppose, based on your analysis, what are the terms that, that they'll be calling for? Mm -hmm. uh, well, first of all, that coalition that has waged war on Yemen is, again, um, in shambles. There are three different actors in the so-called larger enterprise of this war um, who are, are basically shooting each other's assets on the ground. And uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of, um, um, let's say, knocking of heads in Washington and elsewhere to try to get these guys into some kind of form of loose coalition, because it's not one right now. This is their weakness. 
the the northern uh, alliance defending uh, Yemen's sovereignty will go back to their ba very basic principles that they issued out when they uh, um, in arrested this interim government led by Hadi in 2014 was you need to allow all the parties, interested parties, to the negotiation table. This period, which I discussed in my book, and many people have critiqued this interim period, which was imposed on, on the terms that set by Obama's uh, State Department, uh, did not indeed include very key actors, uh, including those representing what we would call today Ansar Allah or Houthis, and the the uh, the Southern Transitional Council, who are these old timers from the old South Yemen, which one was an independent country, and they want today separation from Yemen and to create a separate uh, um, um, independent state. Uh, they will want to change some of the dynamics that have been long the uh, demands made by the United Nations, uh, uh, rather the United States through the United Nations, which is, for instance, creating a federated Yemen, uh, which in in included the rapid uh, privatization of Yemen's uh, economy, um, a dramatic change in Yemen's relationship to uh, international institutions in the context of exposing its economy to uh, the rapacious dynamics of capitalism, especially its offshore assets. Uh, these are things that need to be renegotiated. They can't be dictates from the United States with then some puppet signing away documents as Hadi was doing in this interim period. That's what initiated this, this um, measure to stop the process, to force everyone to go back to the negotiation table and to have a real um, comprehensive um, and um, meaningful set of conversations with everyone involved, not just uh, the players that the Americans had decided as after um, the, the spring of 2011. And if we're able to do that, which I doubt is going to be um, happen uh, immediately, then we can actually see uh, progress on the ground. Now, a lot of these actors have been secretly meeting for years in places like Oman or in Switzerland or in Sweden. And so they can talk to each other. It's just that um, there was always the assumption that this war could be won and the prizes thereof uh, could be then transferred to those who won this war. And, and I'm speaking now, of course, of the coalition that the United States has sustained and will continue to sustain. Again, uh, the problem is also financial. These countries is one of the reasons why they went to war in the first, first place is that their long-term term, uh, financial stability is, is un, in question. And I think that's been proven true for the last couple of years. Uh, and Saudi Arabia is, is, is hemorrhaging money because of this war, because of the, the global uh, economy, the dynamics of the shifts in, uh, in finance capitalism. And it's not sustainable. And it's not sustainable for the other two um, major regional powers who aim to secure some some of Yemen's most important assets. Um, well, you know, let me ask you about this, because this is a, an important uh, component of your book, Destroying Yemen. That might surprise some people because Yemen is widely known as the poorest country in West Asia. So how do uh, financial motives factor into the Saudi-led war in Yemen? Uh, firstly, the, the kind of the old story of oil and gas. Uh, Yemen has been largely un untapped, uh, unexplored yet. Um, but if you just look at the geology and the geological maps that have been drawn up and are available to 
uh, oil companies now for 50, 60 years. They know there's enormous amounts of oil of potential, and they know there's enormous amounts of gas and oil offshore. Uh, they, they're, the geology of Yemen is shared with the Horn of Africa, and they're already drilling and have very lucrative uh, projects off the shore of now this, this fragmented, what used to be Somalia. Um, and just like with Libya, Somalia, uh, the, um, there are um, these kind of operations to extract oil and gas ongoing in Yemen itself. Uh, there is this huge uh, strategic importance of access to the Red Sea and the possibility of extending pipelines to reach the Indian Ocean, not having to deal with the Straits of Hormuz and the ability of Iran to um, thwart the flow of, of oil over the next 20, 30 years is another incentive for to somehow bring Saudi um, uh, territories to the Indian Ocean itself. Um, and likewise, the UAE has its own um, long-term strategic interests, which includes enormous investments they had made before they were uh, the, their companies were thrown out by this um, interim government in 2012, 2014. The contracts they, their, uh, Dubai Ports World, for instance, signed were ripped up, and uh, Hadi demanded that they be renegotiated under new conditions, and Qatari and Saudi companies were going to get the lion's share of that uh, reconfiguration of Yemen's relationship to the global economy. And the fact that Yemenis have um, is geographically located to where most likely in the next 20, 30 years will be uh, the region's uh, source of fresh water as well as farmlands. I'm talking about, about highland Ethiopia. And there have been plans um, in the works for the last 20 years to somehow link by bridge and by pipeline uh, Yemen and thus the entire Arabian Peninsula with Africa uh, to um, uh, streamline the supply chain of food and water that would uh, transform this vision of 2030 that uh, Mohammed bin Salman has been marketing as uh, Saudi Arabia's future. Uh, all these casino towns along the Red Sea coast are not feasible unless they can find uh, dependable water, uh, dependable labor, uh, and uh, other kinds of resources like food supplies that as we will see, and very soon enough, uh, food will be skyrocketing. Commodity prices in general are already exploding in the markets. And so uh, this was all anticipated a couple of years ago. These were already prepared in reports that were, be were being read by very smart people in Riyadh and Abu Dhabi and Doha. And they had to plan for the um, next 20 years. And one of them was to make sure that they gained access to these key strategic points that will make or break uh, national economies in the future. And Yemen had all the resources necessary to um, assure these regimes uh, survival over the next very tumultuous 20 years, which we're living through right now. So the fact that they haven't won and depending on what happens in the next period of time, they may have even lost the war. What does that portend for these Gulf monarchies survival? Hmm. Um, we're going to see, I've predicted it, I don't think all three of them will remain. Um, uh, it, it's still to be determined who is going to survive. Uh, it was close call in regards to Qatar. They were close to being invaded. But Turkey came to save the day. They flew in their their, um, their top troops and the Americans just kind of sat sat there uh, looking in the, in the sky. They still had their major base there. They did move some key personnel out at this key moment where it could have been an invasion, it could have been a struggle, but 
so, so far, um, the, it will not be a military conflict between these three. It's going to be a financial one. And they've been competing against each other for tourists. They're all charging their citizens now taxes, um, un, un, unheard of kinds of demands, levels of austerity that could never have been imaginable 20 years ago are causing serious rift inside, especially Saudi Arabia. And that could be easily exploited by their arch rival in Qatar uh, via their very sophisticated media networks. Uh, they have, probably have a very um, deeply insinuated, um, let's say, uh, secret agents or people who would be really willing to work upon call uh, to destabilize, as they did in Yemen in 2010, 2011, or Syria. Um, this is a major concern for Qatar's neighbors. And the fact that they've been rehabilitated um, and are now sitting on top of uh, um, this kind of strategic uh, pivoting that's taking place that will unleash war um, like we've never seen in Syria, unfortunately. Uh, maybe conflict that spreads again to Iraq in, in horrible ways. Uh, and certainly it's going to continue in Yemen. Um, and once they figure out that, um, as we, the Americans are clearly stating that, look, we need to find another way to end this war. But again, they still want to end it on their terms. And that does not correspond well with the vast majority of Yemenis who um, stood up to this in, on multiple occasions against Ali Abdullah Saleh, 2010-2011, against this coalition, against the imposition in this interim period of 2012-2014. And um, unless they change the dynamics on the ground, maybe they'll use as a pretext, look, we want to bring in humanitarian aid. We'll bring in Samantha Power, who's head of USAID. I demonstrated in my book, and many people have looked at the role of USAID in many countries throughout the world as being a destabilizing factor. This is one way perhaps they were hoping to infiltrate and create problems behind enemy lines, so to speak. I don't think uh, the Ansar Allah and their coalition are that stupid. I think they've been very keen on, on monitoring who comes into their territories in the shape and form of uh, humanitarian aid. They've, they know, they know what's up with that in that, in that sense. But these little hints, as you pointed out with your introduction about, you know, we will not supply them, um, uh, weapons that could be used for offensive purposes, but we'll keep continuously supply them to protect them from these unjustified attacks on their sovereignty by these, uh, people down there in, in Yemen. Uh, these rocket attacks that have sometimes hit oil um, refineries and airports and shut down components of Saudi's uh, economy for uh, weeks on end. Uh, so this is could be used as a pretext to intervene violently if indeed somehow the interlocutors in, um, in North Yemen do not comply to these demands being made by Biden. This gesture of peace, this diplomacy is back as they're now um, using as a... Um, um, as a catchphrase for uh, uh, for American people and media to embrace, uh, that's does not necessarily uh, translate into um, ingenious um, uh, efforts to end this war, uh, where all parties involved actually see benefits to its end. Well, let's talk more about that part of Biden's speech that you referenced. He talked about uh, Saudi Arabia facing attacks from Iranian-supplied forces in multiple countries. And he talked about how we're going to take steps to defend Saudi Arabia in defending its territorial uh, integrity and its people and its sovereignty. At the same time, Saudi Arabia faces missile attacks 
UAV strikes, and other threats from Iranian-supplied forces in multiple countries. We're going to continue to support and help Saudi Arabia defend its sovereignty and its territorial integrity and its people. What do you think he's actually referring to there? And when he talks about Iranian-supplied forces, is that is that accurate of him to say? Uh, in, if he's referencing, and I know this is what they're referencing, also uh, southern Iraq, uh, though there's clearly, clearly um, very deep insinuation now of uh, Iranian interests and in southern Iraq, um, and with with forces on the ground, militias, etc. Uh, in regards to Yemen, uh, it's it's an impossible argument to make in terms of sheer logistics. Uh, there, there is no supply chain that is reliable. You can smuggle things in, that's for sure, but that's the, the onus is then on uh, the coalition that's basically surrounded Northern Yemen to explain how they could allow small weapons to enter in. The, the reality is that Yemen, North Yemen is able to arm itself from the cache of weapons that had been accumulated by the Yemeni military for decades, as well as the free supply, free flowing amounts of weapons that come from the coalition itself. Um, They've hired mercenaries to fight their wars who are not willing to die for uh, the cause of this Saudi, uh, UAE, American, until 2017, Qatari coalition. And so they've been constantly been able to acquire the most sophisticated weapons that get just dumped into southern um, Yemen and end up in the hands of those who they were supposed to be used against. Um, and again, you can buy these things in the black market. And that goes back to the point also about uh, this whole idea that somehow Biden is punishing uh, um, uh, those who have failed to actually succeed in uh, securing their um, their victory that they had thought would take just several weeks in 2015 to happen uh, by denying them access to certain kinds of weapons. Of course, uh, they could buy it through third parties, right? We're not in any way is going to see an embargo. On, on the principles involved in this war. So um, there's all kinds of ways we can um, shoot holes in this uh, gesture. Uh, and the rhetoric of that Iran is still the boogeyman in the region, um, that's problematic and it's not going to uh, resolve anything. And it just tells you, again, the mindset of this administration and the people around Biden uh, who are thinking much along the lines they were thinking in 2000, uh, before they left in 2015, 16. 17. Um, and this is, uh, this is very important for the American public to appreciate. And many people understood uh, Biden to basically be an extension of that um, Obama administration before the elections. And people were warned, but they were not really given much of an alternative, were they? No. Um, what's interesting about the Obama administration is that just a few months before they gave the green light to Saudi Arabia to invade Yemen in March of 2015, there was talk of them being in alliance with the Houthis because the Houthis were the main force fighting Al-Qaeda in Yemen. And let me, let, me, let me read to you a headline from the Wall Street Journal from January 2015, just months before Obama gave the green light to Saudi Arabia to invade Yemen. It's called, it says, in strategic shift, U.S. draws closer to Yemeni rebels. Washington steps up communication with Houthis to promote stable political transition and fight against Al-Qaeda. And a major official involved in this was General Lloyd Austin, who wanted to fight alongside the Houthis, wanted to support the Houthis against Al-Qaeda because they were the main force doing it. And Obama essentially told him to back down and that the U.S. was going to shift its support to the Saudi campaign against the Houthis. And now you have Lloyd Austin back in the Pentagon. 
I'm wondering if you see any possibility, and I think I know the answer based on what you've said already, but I'm just going to ask it anyway, whether you see any possibility of the U.S. reverting to that pre-Saudi invasion strategy, that pre-Saudi invasion alliance with the Houthis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very, I, I, look, the U.S. military industrial complex, at least the, the leadership, is um, pretty much an alliance. Uh, there, but there are fissures, as we saw with uh, these kinds of immediate reactions to contingencies. The fact that the um, so-called Houthis, Ansar Allah, were able to do what they did in 2014 and then very quickly reverse the successes of Al-Qaeda and Daesh that had been uh, running rampant for years in those corners. And one then has to suspect that there was other factors behind their so-called successes than um, the fact that they were superior to the Yemeni army. Because very quickly, once you had initiative and um, motivation, there was reversals. Now, sadly, this coalition that invades Yemen then reverses the successes of uh, the so-called Houthis in removing al-Qaeda and Daesh from these areas. So there's a lot of contradictions to these claims that they're here to continue to fight uh, the the evil um, uh, political Islam dynamics. And and indeed, they've been in bed with many of these elements on numerous occasions, and even in this war regarding Yemen. And the fact that they have uh, rehabilitated Qatar bodes well for those uh, factions inside this complicated story in southern Yemen who are known to be takfiris and Salafists and Al-Qaeda and Daesh and, uh, or uh, Muslim Brotherhood affiliates. Uh, they, they will uh, see, I think, a new rise to prominence and probably some successes on the ground vis-a-vis the Ansar Allah alliance in northern Yemen or against their rivals um, amongst the coalition itself. So, uh, yes, uh, Austin uh, and the crew around him were indeed making these overtures, and they saw s- strategic reason to conjoin with these guys. I'm I'm just concerned that, uh, unfortunately, he's not going to bring the kind of uh, weight to his position to actually thwart off the Samantha Powers and um, Victoria Newlands and these others, the Susan Rices who are... Uh, who are back? They are back, and this does not bode well for many places, many corners of the world. In those unfinished projects they had to bring democracy to the backward global south. As we wrap, if Biden is serious about ending this war and ending it in a non-imperial way that imposes, you know, U.S. Saudi dictates on the people of Yemen, what steps will he be taking? Again, uh, one, uh, recognizing that uh, the desperation of all the parties involved, obviously everyone wants to end the war. They want to end the war for different reasons, however. And it it will require actually trying to find ways to understand and appreciate the position, especially of those who've been resisting uh, for all these years, to to resort to simple kind of references as being Irani-backed, and to use this kind of language will certainly undermine the ability to actually have meaningful uh, conversation. Um, I think a lot's going to have to change in the larger region before we will actually see uh, progress on the ground, diplomatically speaking. I think the fact that they cannot win this war uh, certainly has um, made um, caught everyone att- everyone's attention at this stage. But again, this. Uh, this larger crew around Biden is uh, uh, just just by judging the way he phrased uh, his, this intervention, it does not bode well for uh, for the medium term. 
Um, but it, for it to change, they will need to change how they actually understand this war. And I think they just still see it as a part of a larger agenda that, I mean, I think they're much more cynical than, and they don't believe what they actually iterate. But for them to, uh, uh, to retract what they've been claiming their whole ambition is in regarding what your U.S. diplomacy is all about and the role of America as a leader in, in promoting democracy in around the world, they would have to take a, a serious step back and actually be very critical of this discourse and how it was actually used as an instrument for war and empire as opposed to one that actually legitimately was trying to resolve conflicts in the world peacefully. Issa Blumi is associate professor at Stockholm University, author of Destroying Yemen, What Chaos in Arabia Tells Us About the World. Professor Blumi, thank you very much. Thank you, Aaron. 